I was at Grace last week preaching. That was fun to do, but it's going to be back here. And, um, we'll be in Galatians chapter 1 this morning. During announcements, John mentioned LifeWise, and again, I can't recommend it enough. Um, and if you do have any questions about it, while I don't know everything about LifeWise, I feel like I'm fairly knowledgeable. And so if you have any questions or concerns, um, happy to talk about LifeWise with you. And again, if you haven't signed the petition and it's something that you support, I can't encourage you strongly enough to, to do that. Galatians chapter 1, we'll be looking at verses 11 through 17 this morning. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. And once again, we thank you for this opportunity that we have together to worship your great name. Lord, may we always be mindful of the great and powerful, the almighty and good God that we have and that we serve and the gospel that has been given to us, Lord, your Son, Jesus, who has come into the world to redeem sinners. May we be a church of people who believe that and who have lives that are transformed as we live as his disciples. In Jesus' name, amen. Virginia Prodan was born in Romania when communism reigned. As a young woman, she became a Christian. A lawyer by training, Prodan worked to defend Christians who faced persecution from the government for things such as smuggling Bibles into the country, for worshiping, and for sharing their faith with others. Not surprisingly, Prodan herself faced persecution for this work. Her tires were slashed. Another time, she was put under house arrest. She and her family faced threats. She had been kidnapped and beaten by the Romanian police. But the worst was still to come. At the end of a long day, Bredan returned to her office. Her legal assistant told her that there was a man waiting for her who wanted to meet with her. When she entered her office and sat down, the man pulled out a gun and told her that she had failed to heed the warnings that she'd been given and that he'd come to finish the job. The man said, I'm here to kill you. We're continuing in the book of Galatians this morning. As a brief reminder, Paul had visited the churches in Galatia during his first missionary journey. But false teachers spreading a false gospel had quickly infiltrated those churches and were leading people astray. Paul preached a gospel of grace while the false teachers were attempting to add works to the gospel. And here's why it matters. These two conflicting Gospels are not simply two equally valid opinions. 
but rather it was a conflict between truth and falsity. In today's passage, Paul will point to his own life and how the gospel of Jesus Christ impacted him. One last word of background, sort of as a roadmap for the book of Galatians, from the beginning of today's passage, chapter 1, verse 11, through chapter 2, verse 14, Paul will give four different stories from his own life. This is the first of those stories, and we see Paul talk about his conversion to faith. And the reason why that matters, the reason why that matters in this confrontation of a false gospel is that Paul isn't simply giving his opinion, but he's writing as someone who had personally seen the risen Jesus. The main idea of today's passage is that men didn't make the gospel, God did. And we'll look at this passage in three sections this morning. Gospel creation, gospel revelation, and gospel salvation. Beginning in verse 11, gospel creation. Paul says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. Man, trying to create his own gospel, would work about as well as man trying to decide the laws of physics. You don't decide what they are, you just observe them. And in the same way, disbelieving in those laws doesn't make them false. And the same is true with the gospel. Why? Because it's not man's gospel. Isaiah chapter 45 verse 9 says, Does the clay say to him who forms it, What are you making? Or, your work has no handles. Of course not. That would be absurd. But we try to dictate to the God who made us the conditions by which he forgives us. And really, if that doesn't show the sinfulness of the human heart, I don't know what does. Every two years, Lifeway Research and Ligonier Ministries conduct the State of Theology Survey, which surveys attitudes towards various theological and morally based questions from people who profess to be Christians. Many respondents hold views which have strayed from biblical Christianity. In this year's survey, 60% of respondents agreed with the statement, religious belief is a matter of personal opinion It is not about objective truth. 60% of Christians in the survey said that they don't believe that their faith is objectively true. In the same survey, 67% of respondents agreed with the statement that God accepts the worship of all other religions. All other religions. You could have some pagan Norwegian god, and they think that's acceptable. You could believe in some sort of Wiccan sorcery, and apparently that's acceptable. You could believe in Scientology, or by that logic, make up your own religion, that it's all good. 67% of professing Christians agree to that. Then why do you need Jesus? Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life No one comes to the Father except through me. That is either true or it's not. These responses are simply a reflection of the values of our modern post-Christian world, which is cowardly and which hates to speak in absolutes. But we're gambling with the souls of those all around us on exchanging the gospel for a watered-down false gospel 
just because we're afraid of having our beliefs offend someone else. But the gospel is not man's gospel. Our society treats it as though we can make it whatever we want it to be. Now, it's certainly a great blessing that we live in a free country. And people can have different faith or no faith. They can believe whatever they want to believe. But that does not mean that we as Christians should water down what we believe just to affirm what everyone else believes. Especially when it comes to the truth of the gospel. Because just because people can believe whatever they want to believe doesn't make everything everyone believes equally right. And we know this is true in all sorts of areas of life. If you want to grow crops, there are right ways and wrong ways to do it. If you start planting corn in the middle of December, you're not going to be successful. If you want to be happy, you don't root for Illinois. They're three in one, I shouldn't even say that. There are things that we follow that we know are conventional wisdom. If you want to get full, you eat food. If you want to get rest, you get sleep. If you want to get clean, you bathe. And if you want to follow Jesus, you listen to what he says. People like to have this view that all roads lead to God. I've heard people say that no religion is any more true than any other. Have you ever heard someone say that before? Do you know what the problem is with that statement? The problem with that thinking is that the person who's saying that is saying that they know better than all of the other religions. All religions, all faiths have their own non-negotiables. And the person who says that they can all be right is saying that they are the one who is truly enlightened and knows better. It's arrogance. It's also wrong. I've heard people say that all religions are basically teaching the same thing. Have you ever heard that? People like that idea because it seems tolerant and inclusive. It appeals to our modern sensibilities. And it avoids the two words that we seem to hate saying the most. You're wrong. And so, theologically, many have created this fantasy world where everyone can be right. For the person who thinks that all religions are basically the same thing... That person has obviously never studied other religions. Because no, not all religions are basically the same. Christianity believes in a God that is all loving and all good. Most of the world's religions don't believe in that. Throughout history, many people believed in pagan religions with many gods who could be spiteful, deceitful, not perfectly loving and perfectly good. The gospel and grace are unique ideas. The gospel is a message of a gracious God. And modern man has tried to co-opt grace and speak as if it's the belief of all other religions when it isn't. I've said this before. Most religions generally operate on a scale of morality, of trying to do more good to outweigh the bad. The gospel says that you can't do enough good and that you're sinful and that the only way to redemption is through the one perfect man, Christ the Lord. The gospel is not man's gospel. And whatever does not correspond to the truth of the gospel is false. Both in Paul's day and in our day, we face many challenges to the gospel. 
In Paul's day, it was adding works to the gospel. In our day, there's the challenge of the society that largely wants to reject the truth of the gospel and the exclusivity of the gospel. But men didn't make the gospel. God did. Now, a person can believe in the gospel or not, but what we cannot do is change the gospel. We come to our second point, gospel revelation. It's interesting to consider why we believe the gospel. Different people might answer that question differently. Maybe you met Jesus in a really difficult time in your life and he totally transformed you. Maybe Jesus came into your life from a young age and you just always had this strong sense of knowing God's goodness and love for you. Maybe for someone else, it was simply the realization of your sinfulness and your inability to make things right with God on your own. Maybe you heard a sermon or were reading your Bible and something just clicked. For some, we might be drawn to the historical aspects of the Christian faith, that Jesus was a real person and he started a real movement of real people who claimed to have seen him risen from the dead and stuck to that belief even in the face of horrendous oppression. Maybe you were originally drawn to the gospel because of seeing other Christians and how they lived. That there was a truth in them that you saw and that you wanted. That can be an incredibly powerful witness. And really, the impact that Christians and that the church has had throughout the world and throughout history. I think that the transformative power we've seen in people's lives is one of the greatest testimonies that we have to the truth of the gospel. That the gospel changes lives. And again, if we were to go around this room, people could give lots of different great answers to that question. But in verse 12, we see Paul's answer to that question of why he believes. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul believed in the gospel because he had seen the risen Jesus. It's a pretty good reason. In the Bible, we see Jesus appear to Paul in Acts chapter 9. And that is all the more striking and all the more miraculous when you think about where Paul had come from. Continuing in our passage in Galatians, verses 13 and 14. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Let's talk about Paul before he met Jesus. He says he had been advancing in Judaism. He was growing in reputation. He was someone who fought the Christian movement. Again, Paul was old enough that when Christianity started, it was a new thing. And he was one of the people trying to extinguish the flame. We see glimpses of this in the book of Acts, both in word and deed. In Acts chapter 7, the apostle Stephen is martyred. Paul is there. Just as a reminder before I read this passage, Paul tends to be referred to as Saul prior to his conversion. He goes by two names. So when it says Saul, it's Paul. Acts 7 verse 58. Then they cast him out, referring to Stephen, then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. 
And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. We see his oppressive ways continuing into chapter 8, verse 1. Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Paul was a fanatical zealot. Not unlike modern groups like the Taliban and ISIS. Not unlike the kamikaze pilots of World War II. Paul was a religious radical who sought to punish and persecute those who disagreed. Now, I'll just speak for myself for a moment. I think I have a tendency to lose sight of these atrocities in Paul's story. Yeah, I know it. It's in the back of my mind. But Paul goes on to do so much good in his ministry that I think I have a tendency to forget where he came from. That he was a brutal opponent of the church. Acts chapter 8, verse 3. But Saul was ravaging the church. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. In Acts chapter 26, Paul is reflecting back on his life before he came to faith, where he talks of his treatment of the church. Verses 9 and 10. I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. I won't read this whole passage, but after Paul is converted in Acts chapter 9, the Lord calls a Christian named Ananias to go to Paul and to confirm his commission. Acts chapter 9 verses 10 through 12. Now, there is a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him, so that he might regain his sight." So Ananias is told to go to Paul by the Lord. It's a pretty strong prompting to do it. But there's a problem, verses 13 and 14. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has the authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. Paul's reputation precedes him. But Paul is converted. The reason he believed was because he had seen the risen Lord. Something that should always strengthen our faith is seeing how the gospel impacts the lives of others. Paul was combating false teachings in Galatians of people who wanted to add law to the gospel. But in just a few verses, he talks a little bit about his own story. And in that, we see the power of the message, that the gospel is powerful enough that it could change the heart of a man who had been totally opposed to it. There's another story that I want to share about a man who had been zealous and who was advancing in his career. His name was Michael. As a child in communist Romania, he had already started to distinguish himself as being loyal to the government as he would spy on classmates and relatives. 
As a young man, he became an officer in the state police. He received various promotions and rewards for his work. Like Paul, he persecuted dissidents. This included Christians who were loyal to Christ, not to the government. He had arrested people. He had interrogated people. He had tortured people. He had even killed people. In 1984, he was at the pinnacle of his government work when Romanian President Nicolae Ceausescu personally sent Michael to the office of Virginia Prodan. For both Michael and for Paul, they were living their lives according to false gospels. In their own ways, both of them were living based on their own achievement and merit to gain greater respect and honor. For Paul, it was the law and his adherence that was his hope. But then Jesus stepped into his life and everything changed. We come to our third scene, gospel salvation. Paul has talked about where he came from, Paul the persecutor, verses 15 through 17. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. That's a lot to unpack. Parts of verses 16 and 17 I'll also touch on, Lord willing, in a couple weeks. But for now, I want to focus on Paul's conversion. He was as deep in sin as you can be. It is perhaps this past life of sin that inspired Paul to write to Timothy and say, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Because he had been forgiven for much, he had an appreciation for the weight of his own sins. In the passage, Paul says that he had been set apart before he was born. This points to God's initiative in Paul's salvation. That even though Paul was an opponent of Christ, the Lord knew all along that he was going to use Paul for his purposes. Paul says that he was set apart and that he was called by God's grace. It's amazing to think of where Paul came from and the total 180 that happened. There is no gradual progression of warming to the gospel there were no in-depth conversations with the other apostles or a minister. Paul went from being a die-hard opponent to a born-again believer. It was black and white. It was night and day. It was in an instant. Such a dramatic and radical reversal was the work of God. And it's all the more striking when you consider the rest of Paul's life. The struggles, the beatings, imprisonments, and ultimately death that he faced for the sake of the gospel. He went from being a persecutor of the church to being one who suffered great persecution for the church. And verse 16 says, was pleased to reveal his son to me. Paul encountered the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus. In that, we see a difference between the gospel which Paul preached and the false gospel that had infiltrated the churches in Galatia, that Paul had seen Jesus. A few weeks ago, when we started this series in Galatians, 
I made the point that what you think about Paul matters to what you think about the rest of the New Testament. Now, what ultimately matters, certainly, is faith in Jesus Christ and believing that he is the Son of God who died for your sins, who forgives because of his grace. But how you read Paul matters, too. Because a skeptic could question if maybe Paul had a dream. Maybe he was lying. Maybe he thought he saw something he didn't really see. Or any other excuse people can point to to delegitimize Paul. His whole testimony hinges on what he saw being true. Otherwise, it's just two different sets of opinions. What Paul thinks and what these other teachers think. But it's the belief that Paul is called to be an apostle which gives weight to what he says. Now, the fact that the other apostles affirm Paul matters. But what matters even more is that Jesus had called Paul. Once again, I'll just speak for myself. Maybe some can relate. I think the entire story of Paul's life speaks to the authenticity of what he saw. That there is no reasonable explanation for why he so radically changed than that he really saw what he said he saw. And that his life was truly turned upside down when Jesus walked into it. And that a man who had hated Jesus could be a man who would die to defend the gospel. Because that's how powerful the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is. That the most hardened person who is full of hate can become someone full of love. And that should give all of us hope. In Paul, we see a picture of the depths of sin that Jesus can forgive, that there is no sin too great and no sinner too far away to be redeemed. We know people in our lives, not saying that they're just like Paul, but they might have a heart that is adamant in its opposition to the good news of the gospel. Never give up on that person. Never stop praying for them. Never stop believing. Never stop sharing the good news. Earlier in our time, I mentioned that we all have a reason why we believe in the gospel. One of the most striking will always be seeing how it's impacted the life of another. We see that in Paul. The gospel changes lives. The law does not. It might change some behaviors. It might compel someone to act differently. But the law does not produce joy and hope. Trying to earn God does not produce peace. It produces the opposite because you're trying to earn it. The gospel brings peace. The gospel brings life. A man-made gospel cannot produce those things. But man did not make the gospel. God did. And God's gospel changes lives. Why do you believe the gospel? I believe because it's true. Because we have a gracious God in his goodness who saves, who saved me. Virginia Prodan looked at Michael. His eyes were cold and lifeless as she saw him. She'd always known that her work was dangerous and that it could cost her her life one day, although she didn't think it would be that day. She prayed silently for a moment, and then she spoke to the man. Writing in Christianity Today, Prodan says, Have you ever asked yourself, why do I exist, or why am I here, or what is the meaning of my life? I once asked myself those questions. He slid his gun back into his holster. I leaned forward. 
You are here because God put you here, and he has put you to a test. Will you abide in God or in the will of man? Your boss, President Ceausescu, requires you to worship him. God has given you free will to choose. His eyes softened. My heart thumped even faster, and my confidence rose. The truth is that we have all been corrupted and gone away from God. He nodded. We are all sinners, and our sin has determined our future. Hebrews 9.27 says, People are destined to die once, and after that to face judgment. His mouth fell slightly open, and his hands relaxed. But the good news is that God has prepared a way out for every one of us through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. For God so loved the world that he gave his, only, his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Finally, he brought his hand to his forehead and said, You're right. The people who sent me here are crazy. I do need Christ. He promised, I will come to your church as a secret brother in Christ. I will worship your powerful God. And he left. Everyone has a gospel that they believe in. Do you believe in the gospel of the Bible? That is the only message that is true. That leads to Christ and which points to eternal life. That we are sinners, but that there is salvation which is found in Jesus. What is the gospel that you're believing? Michael's life changed that day in 1984. His life was touched by the gospel. Like Paul, he did a 180. He had come to bring death, but instead found life. He left Prodan. He let Prodan live that day. She would go on to flee the country. Today she lives in America. Michael drove home. Now it was he who was in a precarious situation. He hadn't done the job that he was sent to do. But as he drove and considered God's love, tears filled his eyes, and the most amazing thing happened. He got into a car accident. When he was taken to the hospital, his bosses assumed that he got into the accident on the way to, not the way from, the office. After communism fell in Romania, that man went to seminary and became a pastor. Man-made gospels do not transform the human soul, but the gospel of Jesus Christ does. And nothing points to the power of the message like a person whose life has been changed by the way, the truth, and the life that are found in Jesus. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this day and for the grace that is found in Christ. And I pray for everyone in this room that we would believe and know that truth. Lord, for anyone who doesn't, to know that there is forgiveness. We see that from Paul, a man who vehemently opposed you, that you forgave him and that you can forgive anyone who comes to you, who trusts in the grace of Christ. And that is the good news. In Jesus' name, amen.